So today what I'm going to talk about is self-love. We've been, on the last month, we explored love through the language of the, the ancient Greeks, and this last one is also, it's called philotia. It is love of self, true love of self. Now we also talked about this month, since we're leading, this whole month of March is leading up to Easter in the first week of April. We are in the Lenten season. So I want to talk about what not only the Greeks said about self-love, but what um, Jesus said about self-love, what the Old Testament or the Hebrew Bible says, what the Buddha says about self-love. But first, remember what it is and what it's not. I think that's our, one of our problems with self-love in Western society is we're confused about what it means. Self-love, true love of self, is not narcissism. It's not self-obsession. It's not nasal-gazing. It's not focused on our ease and comfort and luxury. It's not focused on our specialness, on success and fame and fortune, and comparing ourselves to others and finding that we are deserving of something more. Self-love, true self-love, its purpose is to enhance our wider capacity to love, period. If you like yourself, feel secure in yourself, then you'll have plenty of love to give others. That's the idea and the importance of self-love. Aristotle said, all friendly feelings for others are an extension of man's feelings for himself. In other words, the measure of hate that you put out into the world is a measure of self-hatred. The measure of true love you put out into the world is a measure of self-love. The measure of judgment that we put out into the world, I guarantee you, is the measure of how we judge ourselves. So learning self-love is a way of being more loving, period, across the board. It's not a way of focusing on us. It's a way of understanding ourselves in the context of all. The Buddha says you can search throughout the entire universe for someone who is more deserving of your love and affection than you are yourself. And that person is not to be found anywhere. You, yourself, as much as anybody in the entire universe, deserve your own love and affection. This is what the Buddha says. In the Hebrew Bible, in Genesis, it says that God created mankind in the image of God. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them. He blessed them. He saw that it was good. And David in the Psalms says that we are wonderfully and fearfully made. I love that phrase. When I start to get down on myself, I say, hey, you are wonderfully and fearfully made. And it just lifts me right up. <laughs> wonderfully and fearfully made. Now here's where in Western religion we get off the track. It's the interpretation, I think, of some of these words in our Christian Bible, words that are attributed to Jesus and words that were written by Paul. 
In Luke, Jesus says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever sacrifices their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet lose or forfeit their very self? And so in the fundamentalist Christian church in which I was raised, I was told, Jesus doesn't want you to love yourself. Jesus wants you to love only him. You are a rich worm of the earth. Jesus is the only thing that's worth love. The love that you get is only because he's nice enough to give it to you even though you don't deserve it. That's the way I was taught. But I need to define for you what the word sacrifice means. It is common in Western society to mean martyrdom, giving up something, of denying ourselves for the good of someone else. Sacrifice is from the Latin word sacrificium, which is a combination of sacer, something set apart from the mundane, from the secular or the profane, and made sacred. Something not ordinary, something supernatural. And the second part of the word, facere, means to make. So, in other words, sacrifice means to make something holy, to make it sacred, to regard it with love and admiration and respect, to understand it as something divine. So, to sacrifice my lowly ego self, which tells me all kinds of lies all the time, in order to serve my highest good, that means I make sacred. I take the decisions that I make about my life, the choices I make every day, and I make an effort to make them sacred choices. To rise them above the ordinary ego that says, this is good, this is bad, you'll never have this, you're, too, you're not good enough for that. All of those judgments. But to say, what? How can I make this sacred? How can I make my life sacred? The other thing that Jesus said, which I love, he says, whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me and the one who sent me. For the one who is least among you is the greatest. It is the one that is least among you that is the greatest. It is the child that is the greatest. So what does that mean? Means you have to give up being great in order so you can be least? No, least to me, and I think in the way that Jesus was using it, means absent of the stuff. Least means without the roles, without the opinions, the thoughts, the judgments. Without the scheming and the conniving to figure out how it is I'm going to survive in this world where everybody's against me. Letting go of all that and becoming as a child. Just unlayering and coming back to the truth of who I am, who I was born to be, born from the strength of love. Nothing needs to be added, in other words. You can unlayer some things, but you need nothing added in order to be the greatest. It is when you are at your least, worldly-wise, that you are at the 
also says, we love because he first loved us. And in Timothy, it talks about that the, the end times will be when people become lovers of self rather than lovers of God. Well, once again, this is a misunderstanding and confusion about what self-love is. See if these words um, ring a bell for you. Who do you think you are? Anybody ever heard that from your parents, from your teacher, from your boss, from your child? Anybody ever heard that? Who do you think you are? This idea of you're getting too big for your riches. Well, here's the deal. When we are receiving the messages from the collective unconscious ego, which says you have to be, being yourself is not enough. You have to be better. You have to stand out. You have to be special. You have to be above average in order to be acceptable. Well, how can everyone be above average? The average just keeps rising, right? So by saying that in order to be above average, you have to, or in order to be good or be lovable, you have to be above average, you're automatically saying that everyone who you consider below your average is unlovable? No, no, that's not the way the world works. That's not the way the divine works. That's not truth of life as I understand it. At its truest, deepest level, self-love is love of God. In other words, God is the shorthand that I use for the one love that is the source and substance of all. So it means surrendering all of the layers of stuff we put over, all of the ideas about life, all of the education and the knowledge we've gained, and get to the heart of who we are. That self-love, when we love that, then we love the whole. We love the whole. And when we refuse to love this, no matter how much we say, I want to sacrifice myself for the world. I want to love everybody. If we leave ourselves out of that equation, then we are not loving everybody. And as a matter of fact, by not facing and loving ourselves, we are standing in our own way. Because you truly cannot love. I believe you truly cannot love another more than you love yourself. You might be able to regard or admire or respect another more than you respect yourself in some ways. But if you want to truly love without boundaries, without bargains, without um, scorekeeping, then you have to first become comfortable enough in yourself to know that nothing can be taken away from you. Because when you are at zero, is when you are the greatest. The least is the greatest. Is this confusing? So this idea of who we are, this that feels like it has to be perfect. Perfection is the enemy of self-love, y'all. Because you are not perfect, I'm not perfect, we're never going to get it completely right. It's never going to be completely perfect, because we're living in this world where anything can happen literally at any moment. And so we set ourselves up to say, I'm not going to ever love myself. If there's any part of me that says, I will love myself when I have perfected this or that about me. Not going to happen. So you've already closed the door on love. Okay. All of these were not we're not made in the image.
feet of God. All of these were made in the image pet. Images passed down to us by family, by parents, by the collective unconscious of all of the generations that lived before us that made them pass it down to us. It is from the media. It is from our peers. It is from everyone around us who also does not know their own worth. Which is why they can't truly see yours. And not knowing my own worth keeps me from seeing yours. You not knowing your own worth keeps you from seeing mine. We have to. This isn't, I, I, the, the older I get, and I mean, I've been hearing this, I think I saw Leo Biscotti on TV when I was like 11 going, you have to love yourself, everybody, give a great hug. Yeah, it sounds so cool. Self-esteem was like a big thing, 70s, 80s, 90s, self-esteem. What I'm talking about is not so much self-esteem. I've always thought that if you want to esteem yourself, you need to do some esteemable things. Um, you shouldn't feel great about yourself when you're doing things that are harmful to others. But what if you rephrase that from self-esteem to self-compassion? Which means if you're doing something harmful, you notice it, you see it, you have the bravery to look at it, and instead of immediately locking yourself in a dark closet away from everyone else and falling into judgment and ruin, you have compassion. Well, look, look what I, look what I said, look what I did. That wasn't my best. What was that? I'm going to send some care to it. I'm going to send some compassion to it. I'm going to understand that there are reasons somewhere that allowed me to do this thing that I didn't want to do or say these words that I didn't truly want to say or even think these thoughts that I really don't want to think. When I send compassion to that, then I can heal it. When I punish it and lock it in a closet, it only gets worse. So hopefully I've covered what self-love, which I'm now going to call self-compassion, is. So then how do you get it? <laughs> how do you get it? Self-love is, number one, the love of the truth. And we avoid the truth because we're so afraid that we're going to get locked in a dark closet, that we're going to lock our own selves in a dark closet. If we don't look good enough, that we tell ourselves lies so we can feel good enough to stay out of the dark closet at least part of the time. So self-love starts with truth. It starts with self-truth. It starts with, here's the truth of me. I'm not the best, and I'm not the worst. I am not an angel, and I'm certainly not a demon. I'm a human being with a perfect glowing soul and an ego, and a whole world of form that is giving me messages that don't tell me the truth about myself. So I am going to be courageous enough to look at what the truth means. That's the first thing. What is the truth? And when you know, when you agree beforehand that whatever the truth is, you're not going to judge it, you're not going to lock it in the closet. You're not going to spank it. You're not going to throw it away and never speak to it again. Then it has the freedom to come out. 
You know, in dog training, one of the first things you learn is when you call your dog, when you say come, always, always, always give it a happy greeting. Never punish it when it comes, or you will teach it to not come when you call it. It has to trust that coming to you is going to be a good thing. Discipline has its place, but first it has to trust that you are safe. Y'all, take this lesson into yourselves. You have to trust that you will be safe with yourself before you can tell yourself the truth. So make a deal ahead of time. I'm going to make a safe place for me to speak what my truth is. To me, I don't have to share with anybody else. To my own self. And whatever is revealed to me, I will send care to it. I will send compassion to it. That's all it is. Trying to look for proof of our worth is the wrong way around. Knowing that we are worthy allows us to then see proof. Love, acceptance, compassion, kindness, care, wanting the best. Do you not want the best for yourself? Of course you do, and I'm not talking about a $400 pair of shoes or a trip to Jamaica. I'm talking about the best for yourself, love, wholeness, peace, the ability to sleep at night, the ability to know at all times that, man, you might not be, per be doing it perfectly, but you're doing your best, and you're supporting yourself in doing your best, and allowing others to support you in doing your best. Researcher and writer Tara Brock, who also is a Buddhist meditation teacher, talks a lot about self-compassion, and she um, frames it in this way, that we are all in a trance. We have completely bought into it. That is the trance. And from that, while we're in that trance, what we're doing is anything to avoid waking up. Anything to avoid the pain of awareness. Anything to avoid the vulnerability. And so we, we live from the neck up a lot of times. Or we live only in our bodies without connecting them to our minds. Or we live in our minds and we don't connect to our hearts. We have ourselves in pieces. Because we're trying to not feel the pain. Because knowing that I did something that's not esteemable is painful for me. Knowing that I'm going to hurt someone is painful for me. Knowing that I have a habit or an addiction that hurts myself on a daily basis is painful for me. And so to stay in trance means to do whatever is possible to not face that. To awake from trance, to be willing to have compassion for myself is to be willing to feel the pain of saying, look at this thing. It's not pretty. I don't like it. It's harmful. And to send myself care. Not pity, but true care. To allow myself to feel whatever it is that I feel. Because the only way to the other side of the feeling is through it. Avoiding it, you'll never get to the other side. You'll carry that fear with you forever. The only way to the other side is through and so our awareness is where it starts. Every awareness is an opportunity for compassion. It's an opportunity for intimacy. And a good way to start training ourselves to become aware is to get aware of what's going on in our body. 
bodies. Because we are often reacting from the sensations that we're feeling in our bodies that we're not even conscious of. I got embarrassed. What happened in my body? My adrenaline rushed. My cortisone rushed in. My blood pressure went up and my face flushed. And so I need to make that someone's fault. What if I just feel it? Wow. Wow, I'm really feeling embarrassed right now. That hurts. What if I hold myself gently while I hurt from the embarrassment and find my way through to the other side? Noticing, noticing your body's reaction and then pausing long enough to allow the feeling and then looking for the truth the truth of the moment. Am I embarrassed? Did I actually do anything wrong? Am I feeling shame? Maybe I'm feeling shame. Oh yeah, that's shame, it feels terrible. So where's that shame coming from? Did I do something to be ashamed of? Maybe I did, maybe I didn't. But I get to keep going, okay, shame, I love you too, I love you still. The Buddhists use the words, this too, Whatever it is, welcome it in. Oh, this too. It's not shame, it's fear. I'm afraid that I'm going to lose something that I have. Well, I can't have compassion for fear. Okay, this too. What's underneath the fear? You keep going. And what will happen is that you will get to the other side. You name it. What is it? Name it. See it. Not judge it. The moment you judge it, you have called your dog and you beat him, and he's not going to come to you the next time. So you don't judge it. You just say, hmm, doesn't feel good. I like that. But I can offer care and kindness to it. And then go deeper. What else? And then accept it. This too. And then release it. Because it's not personal. And no one's blaming you but you. Now somebody may be saying, it's your fault. But they're really talking to themselves because they're reacting from their own sense. You are not being blamed. You are not being judged by anyone except yourself. So notice it. Pause. Allow it. Name it. Offer it care and kindness. And when you've done that, you may go deeper. What else? What else? Is there anything else? Anything else I need to know here? And then accept. Ah, this too. And then finally release. Okay, well, that wasn't so bad. I did something I wasn't proud of. And I felt embarrassment over it. I felt grief that I didn't show up as who I wanted to show up as. And I allowed myself to feel that pain and I lived through it. And maybe by not avoiding it, I will be more mindful next time the situation comes up than I would have been if I immediately pushed it away or pushed the blame onto someone else. Send care to yourself. I want to read, as we close here, an example um, from this book. This is a man who was um, who had been teaching about Buddhist practice 
for years and years. He was a professor. He was about 70 years old, and he had fairly recently been diagnosed with Alzheimer's. But he was in the very early stages, and it usually didn't really affect his life that much. And as Tara is writing about him, this is in her book, Radical Acceptance, says his attitude toward his disease was interested, sad, grateful, even good-humored. Intrigued by his resilience, I asked him what allowed him to be so accepting. He responded, it doesn't feel like anything's wrong. I feel grief and some fear about it all going, but it feels like real life. And then he related this experience from early in his disease. He occasionally given talks about Buddhism to local groups and accepted an invitation to address a gathering of over 100 meditation students. He arrived at the event feeling alert and eager to share the teachings he loved. Taking his seat in front of the hall, Jason, Jacob looked out at the expectant faces before him. And suddenly, he didn't know what he was supposed to say or do. He didn't know where he was or why he was there. All he knew was that his heart was pounding furiously and his mind was spinning in confusion. Putting his palms together at his heart, Jacob started naming out loud what was happening. Afraid, embarrassed, confused, feeling like I'm failing, powerless, shaking, sense of dying, sinking, lost. For several more minutes, he sat, head slightly bowed, continuing to name his experience. As his body began to relax and his mind grew calmer, he also noted that aloud. At last, Jacob lifted his head, looked slowly around at those gathered, and apologized. Many students were in tears. No one has ever taught us like this. Your presence has been the deepest teaching. So rather than pushing away the experience and deepening the agitation, he had the courage, backed by years of training, this is why we practice, simply to name what he was aware of and to bow to his experience. In some fundamental way, he didn't create an adversary out of his feelings of fear and confusion. He didn't make it wrong. What if you were able to just name what was going on with and be its friend rather than its adversary. Make it just something that's happening rather than something that is wrong. And allow yourself to ride through it to the other side. This is something, you know, sometimes I speak from my mastery and sometimes I speak from my growing edge. This is my growing edge. But this is a practice that I've been working with for the last maybe month, month and a half, of just naming what it is. Not allowed to other people, I'm not there yet. But to myself, to face what it is, to face my own fear, to face my own feelings of unworthiness, instead of going, how long have you been a minister? You ought to know better by now. I say, ah, oh, babe, there you go again. I'm sorry that you're feeling that way, it hurts. 
I feel it. I feel it and roll away. When I am able to do that with myself, then I am able to take my judgment of others away before they lay down. And that is the ultimate awareness of ultimate truth. Self-love is the ultimate awareness of ultimate truth. We are all worthy. We are all deserving. We are all the one. Life and love. So who do you think you are? Well, I am a living expression of the living God, one with all. And so are you. So I want to take um, just a short moment here for um, to take that to take that awareness just a little deeper. And so I ask you to simply bring your awareness forward. If there's anything in your body that's calling your attention, give it some attention. Send it some care. So that you can fully relax. Now take a moment to just ask yourself, how am I doing? Perhaps you might put your hand over your heart for that little check-in. How am I feeling this morning? Whatever it is, give it a name and say, okay, I care. This matters. Welcome, this too. 
And if it's painful, I can simply breathe through it. And keep reminding myself. the safe space for myself to come and reveal the truth of myself.
Thanks. Amen.